Chapter 12 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life, Volume 3, by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12, Afterwards. Hester woke next morning in an unfamiliar room with a consciousness of something strange and terrible that had happened. She could not tell what. That first sensation before memory awakens, which is one of the most bitter indications of having entered upon the world of evil. So the guilty pair in paradise, in the morning of the world, must have woke out of their sleep and felt, before remembrance came, the sense of ill. She scarcely remembered how she had been transported to that bed. She had slept for sorrow, calamity crushing all her unused faculties, and her first waking sensation was one of trouble and wonder what it was. She had not long to wait before the whole came rushing back upon her mind. She gave a low cry, and all her wounds began to bleed anew. Nay, she felt them as for the first time, for last night's terror and commotion and misery were like a dream to her. When she uttered that cry, there was a soft stir in the room, and a little noiseless figure and anxious face appeared at her bedside. "'Mother!' Hester cried with a voice of dismay. "'Yes, my darling, I am here. Catherine was so good as to send for me. She said you had received a great shock. She went out herself very early, so that you need not be afraid of being disturbed, Hester. And what is it, my dear? She would not give me any satisfaction.' She said you had behaved very well, and had been the means of giving her valuable information. I am glad of that, anyhow, Hester. I always told you she was kind in the main. If you and she should be better friends after this, it would be a great pleasure to me. There was anxiety in Mrs. John's plaintive face, but it was confined to the fear lest her daughter's health should be affected and to a little uncertainty whether the relations with Catherine might be improved or injured by this mysterious event, whatever it was. She has been very kind, Mamma. I was sure of it, my dear. Catherine has a way with her that is not very nice sometimes, but then we all have some fault. I was to ring for tea as soon as you were awake. That maid, after all, though I have always had a prejudice against her, is kind, too, in her way. She has made me most comfortable. I have always observed in my life, Hester, that when you get to know people, you so often think better of them than when... That has been my experience. Do you feel able to take some breakfast, dear, or will you get up first? You are to do exactly as you please. Hester lay still with a little moan and made no reply. She would have liked to turn her face to the wall, to beg that the light of day might be shut out, that she might be left to make acquaintance with her trouble. But none of these things were possible. Her mother's gentle face shining upon her with so much easy anxiety, and so little conception of anything under the surface, brought her to herself as nothing else could have done. Why should she be troubled with these anguishes that were beyond her? The girl raised herself with that heroism of necessity which is more effectual than mere will. Mrs. John would weep with her and make up to her with a thousand caresses for the loss of her lover when she came to understand it, but she would never understand the burden that was on Hester's soul. The girl said to herself that it must be borne silently, 
that there must be no further betrayal. She begged her mother to leave her a little while while she got up. I have had a long sleep. I am quite myself again, she said. You look pale, said Mrs. John, kissing her. You have had a shock, and you have never told me yet what it was. But perhaps, on the whole, the best thing you can do is to get up. Breakfast in bed is not very comfortable. I will go and have a good look at Catherine's pretty things in the drawing room. She has some nice china, and come back in half an hour or so. Don't hurry, my darling, but it is such a lovely morning. It will do you good to have some fresh air. When Hester was left alone, she tried to think, but could not. Scenes came back to her as in a theatre. The meeting at the gate and all that passed there, Catherine's appearance and the force with which Edward flung her away from him and set out into the dark, into the unknown. Why? Why had he done it? Was it in a sudden fit of passion which he had repented of? Was it in the terror of being discovered? And out of that suspicion and opposition and gloomy distress which had always been in his mind towards Catherine? And then the railway would rise before her mind, the crowd and noise and wild unnaturalness of everything, the disappointment which to her at heart was a relief. Had he not gone after all? What if a better thought had struck him? What if, when they all went to the bank, thinking him a traitor, they should find him there, throwing light on everything, putting the wrong right? Hester raised her head again when this thought came into her mind. Was it not, after all, the most likely, the most natural thought? A man does wrong by temptation, by evil companions, by the leading on of one wrong thing after another. But when he is brought to a pause, when there is a distinct call upon him, when he is made to see beyond dispute what his duty is, is it not natural, certain, that he must do it? So she said to herself. For a moment all the clouds flew away, a warm exhilaration took possession of her. Then there floated up before her eyes another scene, the table round which they had sat in the dead of night, Harry with his troubled face opposite to her, Catherine paramount in her energy and rapidity, she herself putting down upon paper so quickly that her fingers alone moved, and her mind had no share but the most broken and imperfect one, what she was told to write. If he had come back, if he was working now at the re-establishment of everything, could Edward ever forgive them? What matter, what matter, she cried, so long as he set himself right, so long as Vernon stood by his help and did not fall. From all this it will be seen that nothing of the despair, which in reality and in reflection had overwhelmed all the other chief actors in the drama, had touched Hester. To her everything was still possible, and Edward's vindication, Edward's repentance, the chief, the most natural event of all. Well, my dear, are you ready? said Mrs. John. There is quite a nice breakfast waiting for you downstairs. Catherine's maid, whom I really was unjust to, Hester, for she is a very nice woman when you come to know her, insisted upon making you some chocolate instead of tea, for it would be more sustaining, she said, in case you should not be disposed to eat. I don't know why she should think you would not be disposed to eat. I told her you always liked your breakfast. But come, my dear, come. I am sure you must want something. Did you find the clean things I brought you? 
Oh, I thought you would be better in a nice clean print instead of that dark thing, but you've put on the old one all the same. It is best for me today, Hester said. She thought to herself if it all turned out as she hoped, with what joy she would return to her summer garments in the evening, even if it might be that Edward had broken with her forever. She thought this almost certain, for had she not turned against him? But this was not the question paramount in her mind. There was but one thing all important, that he should have returned to his post. Mrs. John was greatly surprised at the wisdom of that prevision on the part of Catherine's maid. How could she have foreseen that Hester, a healthy girl with generally a healthy appetite, would turn away almost with loathing from the dainty food, the pretty tray, the careful provision made for her? She swallowed the chocolate hastily at her mother's entreaty. The very air of the house, those stairs and passages all flooded with light, which had painted themselves on her recollection in the darkness, filled Hester with a sense of the intolerable. She made haste to get out, to get away, to take her mother home. "'Don't you think it will only be polite to wait till Catherine comes back?' Mrs. John said. "'You must remember, dear, that she has been very kind to you, and nothing could be kinder than her note, and sending the carriage for me this morning and all.' I think we ought to wait and thank her for her kindness. She will think it strange that we should go away without a word. Well, if you think it will really be better to come back in the afternoon, Hester. Has Catherine gone out to spend the day? That is quite unusual, surely, for her. But, however, of course, it is not our business. Lean on my arm, my dear. I am sure, as you say, the air will do you good." The air did not do Hester good, the shade of the holly tree lying motionless upon the road, the half-open gate at which Catherine had appeared in the darkness, the strange intelligence that seemed to be in every bush, as if these inanimate things knew and remembered what had been done and said in secret, seemed to bring conviction and force back upon her all the scenes she had gone through of which her innocent mother knew nothing and every inch of the way recalled her own proud, eager thoughts of the night before, the desperation with which she had gone to that meeting, determined upon her protest and refusal, yet never sure that she would ever retrace these steps again. To retrace them now as she was doing, with her mother's gentle talk in her ears, the occasional mild question which it was so easy to elude, the praises of Catherine which her supposed kindness called forth so easily, seemed an incredible thing. Mrs. John enjoyed the walk. It was seldom she went out in the morning, and the excitement of her daughter's absence all night, of Catherine's explanations, of the drawing together of some new and closer bond between Hester and the head of the Vernon Society, the most important person of all the kindred, gave her a secret exhilaration. There had not been such a sensation in the Vernonry for months as that which had been caused that morning, by the sight of Catherine's well-known brougham, sent for Mrs. John. It might be that in future this would be no such rare sight. It might be, but the poor lady scarcely knew how to contain the satisfaction with which she saw the vista opening up before her of Hester's promotion and favour with Catherine. Valuable information! She was proud of what seemed to her like the highest praise. She always knew that her Hester 
so much superior as she was to other girls, if Catherine but knew her as she deserved to be known. And then she asked, with pleasant expectation, What was the information, Hester, that you gave Catherine? I am so glad that you were able to tell her something she didn't know. I was quite in a flutter when I got her note last night, but of course it was perfectly right for you to stay when she wished it. I shall tell her I am so much obliged to her for having taken such good care of you. It gave me quite a fright for the moment, but I soon got over it. And Emma, you know, went away at last by the night train. Thus Mrs. John diverted her own attention and never pressed a question. But it is impossible to tell how deserted, how silent, how far out of the world and life the little rooms at the vernonry looked after the agitation of the night. Hester could not rest in them. The summer forenoon seemed a twelve-month long. She could not take up any of her usual occupations. She was afraid to meet anyone to be questioned perhaps more closely than her mother had questioned her. Her heart was away. It was not in this place. In the pauses of Mrs. John's gentle talk, she felt her own thoughts thronging upon her almost audibly. It seemed impossible that other people, that even her mother, unsuspicious as she was, should not find her out. And how slow, how slow were those sunshiny minutes, sixty of them in an hour, the time of the early dinner came, and again Hester turned from the food. Mrs. John began to be alarmed. If it goes on like this, I shall have to send for the doctor, she said. Hester hastened out as soon as the meal was over to escape from her mother's comments. It seemed to her that she recognized some new knowledge in the keen glance of the sisters, and in Mr. Mildmay Vernon's grin as he sat over his newspaper in the summer house and she was afraid of the old Morgans, who had more insight. The surroundings of the house altogether were odious to her, unnecessary things that had nothing to do with those real affairs and mysteries of living which were being solved elsewhere. She asked herself wistfully whether it was not time for her to go back, though if Catherine had not returned, what could she do but cause suspicion if she went to the empty house? To be even in the empty house would be something, it would be so much nearer the scene in which everything was going on. While she stood with her hand curved over her forehead, looking out upon the road, with her eyes busy in the distance shaping things that made her heart beat quick, the old captain came up to her. She thought he was paler than usual, and his eyes were troubled. He had laid his hand on her shoulder before she heard his approach, so absorbed was she in her own thoughts. He took her by the arm in his fatherly way. "'Come with me, Hester, and talk to my old woman,' he said. It was with a great start that she turned to him, trembling with a nervousness all unknown to the Hester of yesterday. "'Is she ill?' she cried, scarcely knowing what she said. And then, with a vague smile, "'I forgot. Emma is gone, and she is missing.' "'It is not Emma we are thinking of. Hester, tell me,' said the old man, leading her away with her arm in his. "'What is this about Catherine?' What has happened? Your mother told us you were there all night, and now today... What do they say has happened? cried Hester with a gasp of suspense. I cannot make head nor tail of it. I hear that one of the young men has gone wrong, that Catherine is at the bank, that there are great defalcations, that he went off last night. I can testify, cried Captain Morgan querulously, 
that he did not go away last night, for I was there. Hester looked up at him with a face from which all color had fled. Is it known who it is? Are you sure he has not come back? Oh, I have a feeling, she cried, a feeling in my heart that he has come back. My child, said the old captain, you may trust her and me. Whatever it is, it is safe with her and me. Mrs. Morgan was sitting at the window in her summer place. Her placid brow had a cloud upon it, but was not agitated like her husband's. Have you come back to us, Hester? she said. We thought we had lost you. If you can satisfy his mind with anything you can say, do it, my dear. What can I say? Hester cried. We are all in great trouble. I don't know which is the greatest, but I cannot tell you secrets that are not mine. Dear Mrs. Morgan, tell the captain so. Whatever I know is by accident. I think I shall die with anxiety and suspense, but there is nothing I can say. My dear, you will not die. You will live to be anxious many another day. Rowley, my old man, you hear the child. We must not ask her another question. Wait as you have waited many a time before. It is all in the Lord's hands. The old man was wiping the moisture from his forehead. He had seated himself as soon as he came in. His old limbs were shaking under him. His large, colorless hand shook, holding his handkerchief. Mary, he said, if it is my flesh and blood that has brought this disturbance into the place, that has seduced her boy and brought down ruin on her house, how am I ever to lift my head again? The old lady looked at him with pathetic eyes in which there was a suffering as acute as his own, softened and made almost bright by the patience and calm that were habitual to her. Rowley, we are not thinking of Catherine, we are thinking of ourselves, she said. And then there was a pause. It seemed to Hester that her own broken-heartedness was a sort of child's passion in comparison. She said humbly, Will you tell me what you are afraid of? There is nobody blamed but one. There is not a name spoken of but one. I don't know if that is any comfort to you, Captain Morgan. And the one is her boy, the apple of her eye, the only one that she has trusted her choice out of all the world, the old lady said. Oh, be silent, be silent, my old man. What is your pride to that? I would rather I had a share of the burden. I would like to be suffering with her. The tears stood in the deep wells of those old eyes which had wept so much. She was past weeping now. The Lord forgive him and bring him back, she said. You mean punish him, you mean give him over to the powers of darkness that he belongs to. What does he deserve, a man that has used a woman like that? I am not asking what he deserves. I will tell you what he would get if he would come back. Pardon, said the old woman with a sob, instinctively putting out her old soft hands. I am not for pardon, said the captain vehemently, his hand moving in his agitation, his hand shaking. I am for every soul bearing its own burden. Here is a woman that has spread prosperity around her. She has been kind, even when she has not been merciful. The grateful and the ungrateful, she has been good to them all. She has been like the sun shining and the rain raining upon both just and unjust. And here is the end of her, stung to her heart by the child of her bosom for it will be the end of her. She is a grand woman. She won't bear being deceived. 
Do not say that, said Hester. She is so strong, stronger than any of us. If you had seen her last night... Where could I have seen her last night? He said quickly. Then with a smile, that is all you know, you children. Yes, stronger than anyone of you able to do everything. Do you remember the French boy and Browning's ballad, Hester, that could not bear it when his emperor asked if he were wounded? I'm killed, sire. That is like Catherine. She stands like a tower. I can see her in my mind's eye. She needs no sleep, no rest, but she is killed for all that. Esther rose to her feet as he spoke in an excitement she could not control. I must go, she said. I must go. I might be wanted. The old man rose and hobbled out after her. He followed her to the gate. I will wait while you get your hat. I am coming with you, he said. We cannot rest, Hester, neither you nor I. Mrs. John was dozing in her chair, as she generally did in the afternoon. She opened her eyes and said, Are you going for a walk, dear? Then closed them tranquilly again. The very atmosphere in the brown wainscoted parlor breathed of peace and quiet, uncongenial with any such throbbings as those in Hester's heart. She joined the old man who was waiting for her at the door, and they went on together, saying little. The great window in the grange where Catherine usually sat commanding the road was vacant. There was a certain deserted air about the place. They knew without a word that Catherine was still out of it. "'It is too far for you to go,' Hester said. Though they had not spoken for a long time, they understood each other a demi-mot. "'It is too far for me,' said he. "'But what does that matter? Everything will soon be too far for me. Let me go on while I can.' They walked as far as the bank, where their anxious eyes made out the people lingering about, the air of curiosity and excitement. Old Captain Morgan hobbled up to Mr. Merridew, who was making his way out with a serious face. "'You will excuse me for my anxiety, sir,' he said, "'but will you tell me if Miss Vernon is there and what is going on?' "'That is an easy question you are asking me,' said Mr. Merridew, eyeing him closely. "'Certainly Miss Vernon is there.' "'I am her near relation,' said the old man, "'and you are connected with her by marriage.' I know very well who you are, Captain Morgan, a distinguished officer, though people have not found it out here. If you can lend Miss Vernon substantial help, I advise you to do it at once. Captain Morgan drew back a little. He gave Hester a pathetic glance. They retired slowly with lingering steps from the vicinity of Vernon's. They understood all without knowing anything. There is the bitterness of having nothing, said the old captain. And that man knew it, Hester. I would coin myself if I could for her, and yet I cannot help her. Neither of them knew about business, nor how men like Mr. Merridew, who had been listening all day long to Catherine's explanations and arguments without being moved, could save the bank still if they would. But they felt in their hearts the dull opposition of his face, the shake of his head, the nature of his advice to one whom he knew to be a poor man, to help her now. Money is a wonderful thing, said Captain Morgan. It can do so much and yet so little. If you or I were rich as we are poor, we could make Catherine think for half an hour that she had surmounted everything. Why for half an hour, Captain Morgan, said Hester. 
because, my dear, at the end of that time, Vernon's being safe, they were come back upon her that from which neither heaven nor earth can deliver her. Oh, Captain Morgan, do not say so. Cannot heaven, cannot God deliver from everything? cried Hester with a sense of horror. Aye, in a way that he uses always at the end, by death. At least we think death will do that for us. But it is only a guess, even then. How otherwise? said the old man, raising his dim old eyes beneath their heavy lids. What is done cannot be undone. If the boy were to be touched with compunction too late and come back, even that would not restore the past. Why not? she said. Why not? We could forgive him. It was the first acknowledgment she had made of any share in the catastrophe. Forgive him? You speak as if that could change anything. What is your forgiveness? You seem to think it is a thing, not so many words. Then after they had gone a little while in silence, the old man burst forth again. You could forgive him. A man wants not forgiveness, but to make up for his sins. You think it is like giving him a fortune to give him your pardon, as if he could set up again and make a new beginning upon that. Forgiveness may save a man's soul, but it does not save his honor or his life. You could have him back and let him live upon you and eat out your hearts with his baseness, trying to make it show like virtue. But Catherine is too noble a creature for that, cried the old captain. Thank God she has never been broken down to that. This torrent of words overwhelmed Hester. They had turned into the quiet road again, and the girl fell into a low sobbing and weeping as she went. She was too much overstrained to be able to control herself. Yet her heart struggled against this sentence. "'If you love anyone, is it only while he is good?' she said. "'Is it noble to cast him from you because he has gone wrong? "'Then what is love or faithfulness? Are they nothing? Nothing?' She knew now that he had not come back. Honour had not moved him, nor love, nor any nobler impulse. She could have flung herself upon the earth in her misery. She felt that a touch now would be too much, that she could bear nothing further. And her companion saw that she was beyond the reach of any argument. He was silent, and they moved slowly along together, he tottering on his aged limbs, scarcely able to get along. Soon everything will be too far for me, he said with a half-pleased, almost satisfied nodding of his head. It took them a long time to get home, and the old captain was so worn out that he could not rise from his chair again that evening. He and his old wife sat sadly, saying something to each other once in half an hour. They could think of nothing but Catherine. They kept up their broken musing discussion upon her and her fate as the slow summer evening again crept silently by. But Hester could not rest. She satisfied her mother easily that it was right she should go back to the Grange and find out if she could be of use. It is what I was going to suggest, my dear, said Mrs. John. If Edward Vernon is away, as you say, and nobody with her, she must be lonely. And if there is any trouble besides, though you have never rightly explained to me what it was, no, no, dear, I don't mean to say it is your fault. No doubt you have told me, and I have not taken it up. To be sure, Hester, you must go, and though I cannot bear to be with you, yet if Catherine wants you and she is in trouble, stay. 
I am sure she would do as much for me, said the simple soul without any cold breathings of doubt. She went to the gate with Hester and when she came back could not help giving her neighbours a little sketch of the state of affairs. My Hester has gone back to the Grange, she said. She will probably stay there all night. Catherine Vernon wrote me the nicest note to tell me my child had been of so much use to her. That is always gratifying to a mother. Of use, cried the ladies both together. Gracious goodness, what can be going to happen? Hester of use, cried one sister. And to Catherine, said the other. Dear Catherine, she tells you so to please you, and probably she is thinking you the greatest bore. She likes something new to experiment upon, said Mr. Mildmay Vernon with a snarl. Mrs. John was much discouraged by this reception of her news. She said, You little know my child if you think she will be experimented upon, holding her head high, but when she got indoors she cried a little over their ill nature. If it had been one of them who had been chosen, how different would have been their tone. Had the brougham been sent express for Miss Matilda or Miss Martha, what airs they would have given themselves. And Mrs. John knew that she had given herself no airs. She had not said a word, but she could not be silent about the promotion of her child. End of chapter 12. Read by Anne Erickson, Toronto.